Hello, Skywatchers. Thanks for listening to the Royal Observatory's Look Up podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Ophelia. And we're going to highlight what to look for in the sky in April in this cosmic diary. When looking at faint objects such as stars, nebulae, the Milky Way and other galaxies, it's important to allow your eyes to adapt to the dark so that you can achieve better night vision. Allow 15 minutes for your eyes to become sensitive in the dark and remember not to look at your mobile phone or any other bright device when stargazing. If you're using a star app on your phone, don't switch on the red night vision mode. So April is the perfect month to spot the zodiac constellation Leo as it stays visible throughout the entire night from sunset to sunrise. Leo's head and front legs, Leo is the lion by the way, Leo's head and front legs is the easiest part of the constellation to find. You have to look for the backwards question mark pattern known as the sickle. And the dot of the question mark at the bottom is the actually the brightest star in Leo, which is called Regulus. So this seemingly normal bright star is anything but normal in reality. It's actually a system of at least four stars, and the biggest of them, Regulus A, spins around its axis so fast that if it was spinning any faster, it would fall apart. It takes 16 hours for one full rotation, while our sun takes about 27 days. This fast rotation also causes Regulus A to bulge at its equator, giving it a sort of egg-like shape instead of being, instead of being spherical. A triangle of stars east of the sickle represents the lion's torso and back legs. The brightest star here is Denebola, a star almost twice the size and mass of our sun. The Lyrids are the first major meteor shower we get to enjoy this year, but many more are to come. The Lyrids are active during the second half of April and peak on the night of the 22nd. Lyrids are not as magnificent as some of the other meteor showers like the Perseids in August, but they do have an interesting quirk to them. Sometimes, they leave glowing dust trains behind them that can be seen on the sky for several seconds after the meteor disappeared. You can read more about the Lyrids on our website. Here are some tips on how to watch a meteor shower. Firstly, find a good stargazing spot without light pollution. Also, bring a sleeping bag and get warm and comfortable. And finally, you want to be able to see as much of the sky as possible, so a telescope isn't going to be useful here as it focuses on one tiny patch of the sky. On the 23rd of April, the young crescent moon will be visible throughout the entire day, greeting us in the morning at 7am. It will start its journey across the sky in the east, reaching its highest point in the sky at around 4pm, after which it will start setting towards the west, staying visible even after sunset. And Venus is right there with the moon, above the horizon all day. Although, because of how bright the sun is, if you want to spot Venus, that'll be easiest in the evening, right after sunset, as it approaches the horizon in the west. Luckily, both the moon and Venus are bright enough to be seen even in light-polluted areas, and the best time to observe them in conjunction will be between 9 and 11pm. A conjunction between a planet and the moon, or two planets, or a planet and a star, is simply the term astronomers use when the two objects in question uh, look close to each other in the sky. This is only an apparent phenomenon for us as observers. The objects may appear close to each other, but they're still very, very far away from each other in reality. When picturing nebulae, the first thing that comes to mind are magnificent, colourful clouds of gas set far away in deep space. Some very famous ones are the Ring Nebula and the Dumbbell Nebula, popular targets for telescope owners during the summer. Gas that makes up these colourful masterpieces is so hot that it glows, allowing us to see them. Most of the gas in our galaxy, the Milky Way, is cold hydrogen gas that doesn't glow at all. 
and therefore looks like a black void to the observer. To experience this new world of dark nebulae, find a stargazing spot with little to no light pollution that allows you to see the disk of our home galaxy. Since this is where most stars are concentrated, the Milky looks like a stripe across the sky that looks brighter than the rest of the sky. Let your eyes adjust to the darkness until you start seeing details across this glowing stripe. There are black patches branching out throughout the Milky Way. And these are gigantic clouds of hydrogen gas that I mentioned before. The following constellations lie across the Milky Way and are a good place to start looking for dark nebulae. Cassiopeia, Cepheus, Cygnus, Ophiuchus, Scorpio, Orion and Canis Major. A rare treat awaits our listeners south of the equator, specifically in Oceania. A solar eclipse is going to happen on the 20th of April. A solar eclipse occurs when the moon finds itself between the Earth and the sun, obscuring the sun and casting a shadow on our planet. Observers who are lucky enough to find themselves in the moon's shadow will see the lunar disk fully or partially cover the solar disk. Now this one, uh, most of our listeners, I believe, won't won't be in this location, but maybe there'll be a couple. There are a few places where, a sol- where this total solar eclipse will be visible. So here are some places where this total solar eclipse will be visible. Exmouth in Western Australia, Kupang in the Indonesian province of East Nusa Tenggara, and West Papua. If you are going to spot it, you're very lucky. Enjoy. Now remember never to look directly at the sun without adequate protection, eclipse or not. For a safe viewing of an eclipse, it's best to purchase solar eclipse viewing glasses, which have appropriate filters that block out most of the sunlight and make the sun safe to look at. These glasses aren't aren't expensive, but make sure you buy them from a real, reputable manufacturer of solar eclipse glasses. Um, Or if you like, you can make a pinhole projector. Here are some places where a partial solar eclipse will be visible on this day, and that's Australia, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, Papua New Guinea, Melanesia, and Micronesia. If you take any photos of the night sky, please do tweet them to us at RIG Astronomers. You may also want to check out our night sky highlights blog on our website, rmg.co.uk. But now, it's time for our cosmic news. Alright, so on to the cosmic news. For anyone that hasn't listened before, this is where we bring two new news stories from astronomy and space science to the table. We also then ask our listeners to vote on which news story they prefer. So can you give us a recap of last month's news, Ophelia? Last month, you talked about the problems that the ISS, the International Space Station, have been having. Uh, So there were a couple of leaks on on the Soyuz uh, spacecraft, right? So uh, that prevented uh, the astronauts from from coming back down to the Earth. Um, And I talked about, well, I had three Mm, (laughs) different news stories about Jupiter's moons. So uh, first one was that they found 12 new moons orbiting around this giant planet. Um, Also, they found... Uh, a new kind of ice. So in the lab, they, they recreated uh, this new kind of ice that they think might be present on some of the moons around Jupiter. And they also uh, found aurora, optical aurora. So aurora that we can maybe see with our eyes uh, on some of the Galilean moons as well. Amazing. A wealth of news stories there. <laughs> and can you reveal who won? Well, hmm. There was a bit of a landslide here. Oh. <laughs> With 88% of the votes, the mm. winner 
were the Jovian moons. Oh, well done. <laughs> to be fair, people might have felt uncomfortable voting for for damage to the International Space Station, but I thought it was a relevant news story, you know, yeah. if not a happy one. Um, I mean, it, it, well, they those astronauts are back home now. That's true. Everything is fine. It's yeah. sorted out. Yeah. Okay, shall we move on to this month's news? Sure. Would you like me to go first? Go on. Yeah. So my news story is about a a paper that was published last month in early 2023 in the Astronomical Journal, and it is about a new exoplanet that's been found. So this exoplanet, it is news every time we find an exoplanet, but we have found a lot of exoplanets now, so I wouldn't come on the podcast every month and tell you every single new exoplanet (laughs) we found. We'd be here for ages. Um, So an exoplanet is a planet orbiting a star that's not our sun anywhere else in the galaxy or another galaxy. We'd call that an exoplanet as well. And we've been looking, finding them for around 30 years now, and we have found thousands. Um, The number changes all the time. So I'm going to give you a number and it's going to immediately date this podcast because they might find another one next week. But according to NASA's database, the current number is 5,300 exoplanets. So that's how many we found. Um, And this is a new story about a particularly interesting exoplanet. Shall I tell you why it's interesting? Yeah, go on. Mm. Um, it is interesting because it's an absolutely massive planet orbiting a not particularly massive star. Oh. Yeah. Um, so when we look at exoplanet systems, not most of them aren't similar to our solar system. They haven't got the same composition. It's not the same star. It's not the same planet size. not the same planet types or distances. Um, so there is variation out there. <laughs> but this is one of the most massive planets sort of compared to its stars that, that has been found. Um, so the star in question is a red dwarf star. So that's a very small, very dim star. Any smaller, it wouldn't actually be a star. It would be a brown dwarf. Nuclear fusion wouldn't be happening. Um, they are, there are lots of these stars in our solar system, in our Milky Way, sorry, in our galaxy. <laughs> um, they're one of the, the most common types of star out there, but they're very dim, too dim that we can't see most of them with the naked eye. But they can have planets going around them. So this star is only about the third, a third the size of our sun. Wow. But the planet that's been found orbiting it is as big as Jupiter. Okay, which is how big compared to the sun? About sort of 0.1% the oh, mass of the sun. Okay. So the, the ratio is three times bigger, effectively, than, than the Jupiter-to-Sun ratio. Right, yeah. Um, this exoplanet-to-star ratio. Which is interesting for a, for a couple of reasons. So it's what we call a hot Jupiter exoplanet. So it's an exoplanet that's a gas giant, like Jupiter, but it's hotter than Jupiter because it's way closer to its star. In fact, it orbits its star. It's orbiting this, this dwarf star in just under two days. So it's got a really, really fast orbit. It's really close mm. to the star. And because it's so big and so close to the star, when it comes in front of the star, it blocks a significant portion of that star's light. So that's how we find most exoplanets, is through something called the transit method. The exoplanet will come in between us and its parent star. The light from the parent star will have a little dip as the planet blocks some of that light, and we'll see that dip if we look at the luminosity of that star over time. This exoplanet produces a particularly big dip, um, and because it's so big and so close, Ideally, we can find out more about the atmosphere of this exoplanet. Right. Um, so we'll be able to learn more about the ex- the atmosphere of this exoplanet through- because of the way the light from the star passes through okay. the atmosphere of the exoplanet on the way to us. And another reason why it's interesting is um, it makes us think about planetary formation. The general idea for planetary formation, the general sort of theory out there, is that a star forms from, from clouds of gas in a nebula, um, and then leftover material from that cloud collapse sort of swirls around in a protoplanetary disk and then 
planets form out of that disk of material. Astronomers didn't really think that a, a star of this size would have enough leftover material in its protoplanetary disk to make a planet of this size. So it brings into questions about how the theories about planetary formation, which I think is interesting. Mm, yeah. If you would like a little, a little comparison, um, this isn't my comparison, but I think it's really good. So if you compare Jupiter to the sun, it's a bit like a pea going around a grapefruit in terms of the size comparison. So if the sun is a grapefruit, Jupiter is a pea going around that grapefruit. Compared to this system, if the exoplanet is a pea, the, the sun, the star is a lemon. So it's okay. a pea going around a lemon compared to a pea going around a grapefruit. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. I can see, yeah, I can see the difference there now. Mm, yeah. yeah. And the pea is much closer to the lemon than mm. the pea is to the grapefruit as well. <laughs> So Mercury is the closest planet to our sun. Um, how long does it take Mercury to go around the sun? 88 Earth days. Okay, so compared to two days, that's, that's quite a big difference there yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And we have found lots and lots of exoplanets that have these really short orbits. Um, probably just because it's easier to find exoplanets with short orbits compared to, compared to long orbits. doesn't mean there aren't systems like ours out there, but we, we might be a bit uncommon. Because it's easier because it'll block up more light because if it's closer to the star is that why it's easier to spot them um it blocks out light more often okay so if you picture yourself sitting on the earth looking up at a star you're waiting for the planet to go in front of the star in its orbit to block some light if the planet takes 88 days to go around the star you'll see a dip in light every 88 days and you want to record multiple dips before you're sure it's an exoplanet and not just a a a blip for some other reason (laughs) Um, so you'd have to wait, I can't do 88 times 3 in my head, but you'd have to wait close to a year to watch Mercury transit the Sun three times. Um, and obviously a more distant planet is going to have a longer orbit. So for example, it takes Saturn almost 30 Earth years to go around the Sun. So if you were watching Saturn go around the Sun, you want to record a three transits, you'd have to wait 90 years. Um, whereas if the planet goes around the star in two days, you have to wait six days and then you've got your three transits. So... <laughs> Um, so it makes them easier to spot for, for that reason as well. Do you have any questions about my lovely pea-sized exoplanet around its lemon-sized star? How did I find this planet? Um, it was found using a space telescope called TESS, which stands for the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite. And it is a space telescope dedicated to finding exoplanets through the transit method. Hmm. So this was found using transit, but then it was confirmed using something called the radial velocity method, um, which looks at the way the star shifts forwards and back as it gets pulled by the planet in its orbit. So the way the planet's orbit affects the star's motion Mm -hmm. as well. And its name, by the way, is TOI5205b. Very catchy. Mm. TOI standing for Test Transiting Exoplanet uh, Survey Satellite Object of Interest. That's the O and the I. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they categorize the Test exoplanets. So that's my my massive exoplanet tiny star story, <laughs> which I just think is cool. Um, I haven't been able to link it to aliens, but not everything can be aliens. No. Um, would you like to tell me about your news story? Sure. So at the end of February, the aurora was actually visible further south than usual. So people in southern England were able to see it. Yes, there was a lot of news coverage of this at the time and some really cool photos that I saw. It, it happened on the 26th and the 27th of February. 
I have, you know, people, uh, friends who, who did see it. So there was one particular uh, person uh, who, who lives in Guildford. He, he didn't see it by eye. It was too faint for the human eye to pick up, but he captured it on his camera. Which amazing. I think is amazing. From Guildford. Yeah. Awesome. Why could we see the Northern Lights then? We can't normally see the Northern Lights. No, not not from that far south. Mm. Uh, so the sun is getting more active. The sun has this approximately 11-year-long cycle where it gets more active and then less active. And we are approaching the peak of the sun's activity. And a few days before, so on the 24th of February, the sun actually released a, a big coronal mass ejection, or a CME. A CME is a huge blob of plasma or charged particles. And this CME also carries with it the sun's magnetic field. So that CME reached the Earth on the 26th uh, of February. It caused a lot of disruption to the Earth's magnetic field. It distorted it and sort of squashed it as well. And that caused the, auro- the auroral oval to go further south. So and what's the auroral oval? The auroral oval is where the Earth's magnetic field lines actually come out of the Earth. So usually it'll be, you know, around Sweden and Iceland. But because of how much DCME distorted the Earth's magnetic field, that got pushed further south. Mm-hmm. And so these charged particles that produces the aurora came in further south compared to to usual so actually I I have another friend who was in Sweden at the time and he wasn't able to see it because all of this activity was too far south interesting the magnetic field had directed these particles only down to us well the majority of it was at lower latitudes than it normally is that's cool yeah Mm. so the the blob of material from the sun erupted left the sun on the 24th Mm -hmm. and then it traveled 150 million kilometers through space and got to us on the 26th. Yeah. So it moved quite fast. Yeah, yeah. it just took two days. Um, so actually the sun released another CME uh, a day after, so on the 25th, and that reached us on the 27th, which okay. is why people saw the aurora for, for two nights. Mm. Uh, so is this ever going to happen again? Was this a very rare event? It's hard to know. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really predict what the sun's doing. I mean, I would say... We can expect to see more. Uh, so the sun is getting more active. The sun has this approximately 11-year-long cycle where it gets more active and then less active. And we are approaching the peak of the sun's activity. So we'll get more and more activity in the next couple of years and then it will dial down. So perhaps in the next couple of years, we'll see more aurora over the UK. Exciting. I look forward to it. Yeah. Um, so the, the aurora are beautiful in my opinion, Mm -hmm. and even if it's not your opinion, it's just lights in the sky. But uh, are there any negative effects of these CMEs? Yes, Mm. yes. Um, So CMEs can cause a danger to astronauts Mm. um, because of the radiation that they they bring. Um, Also to pilots um, and anyone flying in an aeroplane sort of close to, to where the Aurora Oval is, and so airliners and pilots do have to sort of divert their path. They have to go a slightly different route or, or go uh, lower down to avoid the radiation. Mm. Also, radio blackouts um, can happen, which actually did happen. 
during during that weekend. And sometimes if it's if if it's particularly bad, if the CME is particularly big and the Earth's magnetic field is, is you know really, really distorted, then you can get a global radio blackout as well. Um so we got to a G3 geomag- geomagnetic storm, which is quite quite a big magnetic mm-hmm. storm. So a geomagnetic storm is is when the Earth's magnetic field gets distorted. And it sun's only goes up to five, that's good. Yes, five is the mm. yes, top. And sometimes you can also get currents flowing um, along rail tracks, railway tracks, oil and gas pipelines, <coughs> the electricity grid as well. Um, and that can overwhelm things like the transformers, which can cause blackouts. I don't think that happened this time, unluckily, but it has in the past. For last year, two years ago, a CME hit hit the earth and caused almost 40 Starlink satellites to to stop working and fall back down to the earth. Oh, so it's it can be a problem then. Yeah. Not just pretty lights. No. Okay. Um, what can we do to, to mitigate this, to protect ourselves from CMEs? Luckily, we've got a bunch of <laughs> telescopes looking at the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it can, they monitor the sun continuously and so we can see when these the CMEs are, you know, erupting out of the sun. And that gives us a two-day warning. Hmm. Um, and so we can turn off uh, satellites. We can... Just prepare for power prepare, outages. Yeah, yeah, prepare for power outages. We can change the, the flight paths of airplanes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily, this is a, this is a, a big sort of area of research. And people like the Met Office now issue space weather uh, sort of forecast as well. Mm, cool. So yeah, there's 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 a lot of uh, work being done. Okay, that's good. There's stuff we can do. <laughs> so that's our two new stories for the month. Mm-hmm. At the start of April, we will put a vote out on Twitter, so you can vote for your favourite news story. You have a week to cast your votes. Yeah. So it'll be either the coronal mass ejection, which caused the aurora to be seen here in the UK, or the discovery of a big planet going around a tiny star. (laughs) Big planet, (laughs) tiny star. (laughs) I'm trying to subliminally get that into people's heads. Um, (laughs) uh, We also publish our Night Sky Highlights blog highlights blog on our website so go to rmg.co.uk for that if you did see the northern lights by the way tell us that you can Mm. contact us on twitter that's really cool okay so that's everything from us thank you for listening last thing to say is keep looking up